For TBWA Shite Day New York and Nissan ISKI code NOAY0005000, spot entitled My23 Aria Launch, GM brand fully loaded 30 second radio spot, stereo mono compatible mixed with Tupop. The all new Nissan Aria is a fully loaded EV. It's brimming with style mm. and power. Up to 389 horses of it. Innovation and intelligence. E Force all wheel drive. It'll pin you to your seat. Your very plush seat. The all-new, all-electric Nissan Aria. Nissan Aria with E-Force expected availability early 2023. E-Force cannot prevent collisions or provide enhanced traction in all conditions. E-Force and 389 horsepower available on Platinum Plus. Nissan calculation using one-foot rollout testing with long-range battery and E-Force only in Fort Worth with E-Step Off. These results are for comparison only and should not be attempted on public roads. Drive responsibly. See NissanUSA.com for details. Hey guys, welcome to Happy, Sad, Confused. This week, Michael Fassbender sings, quotes Dumb and Dumber, and even talks about his new movie. Plus, Megan Mullally on playing an actual normal person in Why Him and Why She Loved Every Minute of It. I'm Josh Horowitz. I'm your Jewish Santa. Welcome to this holiday edition of Happy, Sad, Confused. Oh, look, I got a smile out of you, Sammy. I loved Jewish Santa. <laughs> I, knew, I knew I had you with Jewish Santa. So wait, what does that make you? Are you... I guess I'm a Jewish elf. You're the queen elf. <laughs> My, our queen elf here at Happy Second Views. It's not the first time I've been called a queen elf. Um, you, I am so excited okay, right now. Okay, just calm down. It's do, Michael Fassbender. Fassy, Are so good. Are you kidding So me? good. We're going to talk about that in a second. I want to tease uh-huh. a little bit later in the show. We have uh, the lovely and amazing Megan Mullally. Super funny. Uh, I, she's one of those I never really had talked to. I was so excited to have her in. She's so cool. She's very cool. Um, and uh, she did not disappoint. Uh, should we talk about her new film, Why Him? A very funny new film with her and James Franco and Brian Cranston and Zoe Deutsch. Uh, a lot of fun stuff coming up in that one. But first, yes, is Michael Fassbender. That's crazy. Returning guest. It's been a couple years since we had him on the show, um, and uh, he was like in a good mood. It was yeah. this is a fun interview. In turn, you've been in a good mood ever since you've talked to him. Well, he look, just Bassie spreads has joy. That effect <laughs> on me and others. Um, he is, of course, starring in the new film uh, Assassin's Creed. This is um, based on the uh, beloved, you know, super uh, successful video game series. Uh, he is the producer and star of this film that is out in theaters right now. Go check it out. Lots of cool action and Michael Fassbender uh, running around, killing people and shirtless, and Marion Cotillard being cool and Jeremy Irons talking uh, cool. So there's a lot there for you. Did yeah. Does he know you call him Fassy? Or is that something that he's finding out right now? As he's walking out, I'm like, thanks, Fassy! <laughs> he's like, God damn it! I think people call him Fassy. Maybe, but I, I, we're not to the point where I talk say that to his face. No, of course but not. But maybe soon, because we really got along, I think, really well, well in this you one. you guys have, yeah. Well, here's the You've thing. You've been through a lot. We've been through a lot. <laughs> we, um, we're almost exactly the same age, shockingly. Uh-huh. Almost the exact same body. Uh, yeah. Almost the exact same body of work. You're the fast spender of MTV News. <laughs> <laughs> but we do, I, 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 I joke and I jest, but we do actually, I think, by, by virtue of age, have a lot of the same reference points. Um, like, you know, he he does quote a lot of you know, Dumb and Dumber and Godfather and Big Lebowski in this conversation. He uh, he sings a bunch of times in this. Um, we talk a lot about uh, the future of the Alien and X Men franchises. We even talk a little bit about Star Wars and how he um, kind of came a little. He was he was up for Star Wars. Yeah, there's a little news in for here. For what role? I don't know. He, he doesn't reveal it. Okay, uh, I will spoil it and say <laughs> okay. he, he does not reveal it. What if someone was waiting the whole time for the <laughs> Just big Just wait. No, but uh, it's an interesting uh, – you, you can read between the lines to see, to see that he was definitely up for a role in Episode Seven, The Force Awakens. Um, whether What that role was, I don't know. That's a whole other conversation. Um, but, uh, yeah, he was in great spirits. I was thrilled to have him back on the podcast and um, – Hey, he's now he's a happy, sad, confused regular. Wow. This is big. Him and Anna Kendrick. Yeah. <laughs> they should do a movie together. Yeah. He keeps talking about wanting to do a comedy. I, he needs to. He should. A musical comedy. Well, he, Frank is the closest he's come. That's a b- pretty dark, bleak, black comedy. Um, and there's certainly a lot of music in that one. And I love that movie. So, you know, maybe tippy toes, uh, little, little steps. <laughs> yeah, we're getting steps. there. Um, okay. Anyway, uh, here's this conversation with the uh, great Michael Fassbender. He was, I mean, honestly, he's one of the most revered actors working today and justifiably so. So uh, go uh, check out Assassin's Creed. Enjoy this conversation. On, on the other side, enjoy our chat with Megan Mullally. But more on that later. Uh, for now, here's Michael. Fassy. 
I get to call him Fassie. You don't get to call him Fassie. <laughs> Uh, there is no formal introduction except to say, it's so good to see you again, Michael. Good to see you, man. Thanks for good coming back. by. Now we've got professional digs for you. We're upping our game. The last yeah. time I spoke to you for the podcast, it We're was like- We're on the hoof. Yeah. No, I, I, I knew that, look, you're upping your game constantly. I need to keep up. This is good. I like it. I have some, some updates for you since the last time we spoke. Okay. Um, first, I want to compliment you because Steve Jobs was one of my favorites last year. And, Thank you. Um, but the scene between you and Jeff Daniels in the middle, the, the, like, the, like the major confrontation, might be my favorite scene in the last few years. I'm just obsessed with it. Nice. Um, <laughs> I, I loved shooting it. Um, you know, Jeff Daniels, is, uh, he's just um, one of the greats. So to, to stand there and spar with him, to think, you know, that he can do something like that and then Dumb and Dumber <laughs> just really shows you the range. Right. We're, wait, we're waiting for your Dumb and Dumber one of these days. It's coming. It's coming. <laughs> uh, the other major update is for my 40th, I went to Ireland and I visited Killarney. Samsonite. I was way off. <laughs> <laughs> we're still doing Jeff Daniels. Yes. Not, that's not Killarney, a Killarney actually, reference. That was, that, that was actually uh, Jim Carrey. I'm oh, sorry. <laughs> anyway, go on. I'm rusty on my Dumb and Dumber. <laughs> Um, I visited your your uh, your birthplace or where you were reared and raised. Yes, and uh, I was at a restaurant. Uh, it was like Brixen, Bricken. Do you know this one? It's on uh, my street. Yes, Brickin. Brickin. Thank you. Yeah. And they claim they they served me a dish yep. that they claim they called Fassbender's pork. Do, really? Are you aware of this? I am not aware of this, <laughs> but that's good to know. <laughs> I'm, I'm now uh, promoting pork. <laughs> what, what, what sort of pork was it? It had like a sweet and sour kind of thing going on. I think they were saying that like – correct me if I'm wrong. Is your sister a chef or was a chef? Uh, my father is. Oh, father. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. Apologize. Um, uh, he's retired. Oh, not at all. Um, so, and they, yeah. they claim that they stole this recipe. It kind of came through the Fassbender lineage and that this was your preferred pork dish. That makes sense. Oh, really? Yeah, but I, I, it's not for me. Okay. Uh, because uh, what do I like? I like bacon. <laughs> so uh, it's in the family, like at least. roast pork. It's definitely <laughs> in the family, but I do not like a pork chop. Okay. Uh, so, uh, but this was a sweet and sour mixture. Hmm. I do like sweet and sour pork. Well, in case you don't know, we changed the focus of this podcast. This is now all about pork products. So, <laughs> <laughs> so there are only about 25 minutes more of conversation about this. That's I hope right. you're okay. <laughs> I love it. Keep it coming. Pigs uh, are the philosophers of the farmyard, actually. Is that is that an actual saying or is, did you just create that? Uh, it is a saying, um, but they're very close to humans. Uh, they're, they're sort of cognitive problem solvers. Really? Pigs. Yeah. I, I have, and, I, and of course, if you're getting a skin graft and it's not uh, you know, of yourself, they'll take it from pig skin. Wow, I've yeah. I've I've no follow up. And of course, up. heart transplants being pig hearts as well. Wow, I talked a big game, but you're actually delivering the Here pig we talk. Are. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> um, congratulations on Assassin's Creed, man. Thank you. Um, there's no segue, so we're just gonna do it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, th it occurs to me, I and mean, this was kind of surprising when I started to think about the film and look at it in the killer pigs. Yeah, <laughs> the killer, how's the, this gonna work? The killer pigs in the third <laughs> act were shocking. I mean, I've read, you know, uh, Animal Farm, but this is something else. <laughs> Um, no, here's my semi-serious analysis. Um, it's kind of the first time that you've been the guy in a franchise movie, like the main guy where it's on your shoulders. Obviously, you've been in the X-Men films, but it's kind of like a, a two-hander, if not more That's multiple right. hands. Yeah. Um, was that something, that, a conscious thing you were aware of? I mean, obviously, opportunities have come in recent years, things like this, I would assume. Mm. Is that something that you were thinking about in recent years? Like, at a certain point, I got to be the guy and just do it. I've got to be the guy. <laughs> And say it and like that. Two guys, in fact. <laughs> exactly. Um, uh, no, you know, it's it, it just really what, what stories come along. Yeah. And um, I didn't, I'm, you know, I'm not um, a gamer. I do like to play games, but I, I'm, I'm not a gamer. I'd be lying if I said I was. And I, and I hadn't played Assassin's Creed before uh, meeting the guys from Ubisoft. So it literally was a meeting that was organized through a mutual colleague. Uh, of ours, who's unfortunately no longer with us, uh, Eli Rishborg, so uh, rest in peace to him. Uh, but he sort of hooked up uh, Ubisoft and, and me together, and uh, and they just started explaining this universe, this this concept of genetic memory, right? And how this was the first thing that made me sit up and pay attention. You know that that within our DNA we have the experience and knowledge of our ancestors, right? And that's sort of passed down through the generations as a sort of survival tool. So something that you might think of uh, as a sixth sense or uh, a gut feeling or an instinct is actually something that 
is a survival thing passed from our ancestors down to us. So like, you know, birds know how to migrate south in winter. Where does that come from? It comes from our ancestors. Right. That to me seemed really plausible as, lo- as well as being cool. Something that uh, within a sort of fantasy realm would really anchor this world in something real. It's material that was mined to a different effect in Defending Your Life, the classic Albert Brooks movie, when they go to the Past Lives Pavilion. Do you remember this scene? I haven't seen it. <laughs> oh, my I've, God. I've got to see it. You need to see – you know, you're Albert Brooks. Have you seen some Lost in America, et cetera, talking about silly comedy? Oh, my God. Albert uh, Brooks is I mean, the best. I've seen Albert Brooks um, Blazing Saddles. Am I wrong? No, no. You're thinking Mel Brooks. Oh, Mel Brooks. Of course. You Albert got... Brooks is the guy from Taxi Driver. Yes. Who, who talks about the guy lighting the match with two fingers. <laughs> Sorry. I, I highly recommend oh Lost in America and yes. Defending Your Life. In, def- oh. in Defending Your Life, uh, he goes to something called the Past Lives Pavilion. It takes place in the afterlife, him and Meryl Streep, and he learns that um, he was a, a villager being chased down uh, to be eaten and Meryl was Prince Valiant in a past life. Oh, This is a a tangent that I did not expect to go down. I apologize. You saw me glaze over slightly. (laughs) (laughs) His head just hit the ground. I was like, whoa, Prince Valiant. (laughs) So, but uh, to the point, okay, so obviously a rich universe, something that has a lot of uh, 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 attraction for you as an actor, but also as a producer. This is, I think, your second go around as a producer. That's right, but not on on this scale. I hadn't sort of experienced it on this scale. Um, which was a baptism of fire. I have newfound respect for producers now. There's no doubt. Um, have you ended your producing career? You're like, that was good. <laughs> that was it. It was interesting. Thank you very much. <laughs> you guys <out>. are crazy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, kind of. No, to be honest with you, I, I really sort of learned a lot on this experience. It was it was a real baptism baptism of fire, and I will continue on um, doing it if if I'm allowed. That's kind of my philosophy. <laughs> That's probably you know a gravestone thing. I will continue on if <laughs> until allowed. you guys tell me to <laughs> yeah, stop. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, it was just the, the world was so sophisticated and so fascinating. You know, Templars, the world of Templars, yeah. even the, the, the name. You know, this sort of rich, powerful, elite group of society, a secret society that run the world. And they believe in science and order. And they also believe that some people should be enslaved. Uh, and then on the flip side of that, you've got assassins who believe that all persons are equal and that uh, free will should be protected and maintained at all costs. So a really cool conflict going on between these two ideologies that are essentially fighting for the future of humanity. Um, and, and moral complexities to both. It's not, I mean, that's as right. black and white as maybe it's you might think at Correct. first. Correct. Especially, you know, in this kind of genre film, it's not, you know, light versus dark, good versus evil. It's a very mixed universe. You know, their ideologies get compromised on both sides. And, uh, and in the mix of all of that, you've got this thing called the animus, which is kind of like this uh, genetic DeLorean. You know, it's <laughs> like a, a genetic time machine that'll, right. uh, that'll allow us to access different ancestors and different uh, periods of history and to play with what maybe sort of might have happened in history. Like, for for example, in the film, we've chosen the, the Spanish Inquisition. Right. Which on, on the, you know, uh, looking at it sort of at face value, you think, okay, this is a religious cleansing of sort that's going on. But actually you think, okay, maybe there's some political intrigue going on between, between Templars and assassins behind the scenes. One of the cool things, I mean, you guys, uh, the choices you clearly made early on was also to use like practical sets as much as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm curious, like, was that at all a reaction? I mean, the X-Men films are, are great. I Believe me, I'm a fan. But there's a lot of green screen, I know, in there. And I mean, I've Correct. seen the special features and stuff, and you're basically standing in just yeah. like a green, a green vacuum. Pool. Yeah, basically. <laughs> so was part of that a reaction to experiences on X-Men where like, yeah, these are fun, but I like something to play off of. I need a little bit more as an actor to make it feel tangible and real. To be, to be honest with you, no, because mm-hmm. I've never had a problem with that. You know, from my first experience in 300, it's very much like theater. You imagine something that's there and it's not, of course. Sure. You know, there's the audience out there and you're pretending to look off in the distance to Moscow or whatever it may be. Uh, but um, it was really down to the saturation of just the films, all of the films in this genre. Any high concept uh, fantasy uh, sort of blockbuster film is sort of just because of technology and it's led us this way and it's an amazing uh, leap in technology that is, allows us to to experience this sort of CGI world. But we just felt like it's, it's a pretty saturated market. So yeah. we just wanted to take it back to old school and have real people jumping off real buildings <laughs> and, you know, fighting and beating the head off each other. <laughs> What focus audiences demand. We need the real stuff. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) There's more Happy, Sad, Confused coming up after this break. 
What's uh, where are you at now with the X Men films? It feels like we might be at a crossroads in terms of where the franchise goes next. Do you yes. have a sense of it? Cue Eric Clapton music. <laughs> we can't afford that, man. Okay, damn it. Um, <laughs> Unless you uh, want to start singing yourself. Uh, um, okay, no. <laughs> uh, I thought you had you. Yeah, I thought I was there too for a second. Then I was trying to remember what is that crossroads Eric Clapton song. Um, uh, it's I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> All that to get there. Exactly. <laughs> I'll wait to find out as you are. You know, I haven't heard anything from Fox in a long time. I've been calling. They haven't been calling me back. You um, shouldn't call the general number. You should have a better number than you know, that. Like, Just uh, like... Tell them it's Michael. Yes, Fassbender. F-A-S-S. <laughs> I'm sure I've done this before. I felt like Rupert Pupkin. No, Pupkin. Oh, a lot of Scorsese references today. This is good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so um, where would you like it to go, though? I mean, do you want do you want to continue in that universe? Or do you feel like you've kind of done your your time, as it were? Listen, I have no idea. It'll, you know, I've had a, a fantastic time working with everyone at Fox there and, and all the, the cast. You know, Simon Kimberg, uh, who's been writing and, and producing it from, from when I came on board first class. Uh, you know, fantastic guy, great collaborator. You know, the experience I had with both sort of Brian Singer and uh, Matthew Vaughn, they were great experiences. And, you know, we really developed a family shooting uh, yeah. the three films with all the cast. Uh, it'll just depend on the story, you sure. know. If it comes my way, and see see what what's in there, and 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 then I'll make a decision from there. To be honest, you, you were kind of a little bit uh, dismissive of your own performance recently in Toronto. I thought <laughs> when they were like fetting you, and you were kind of you kind of made fun of your own performance. Are, do you look yeah. at that your performance in those films? With I don't know, are you proud of it, or do you feel like there are parts of it that you would do differently now, or what? Listen, I my you know I I, f I find most of my performances embarrassing. <laughs> to be honest, it's not exclusive to, to X Men at all. Uh, it, that was just a particular scene that I felt like I could have done more with, as opposed to just shout. It was the plane. It was that plane <laughs> sequence, right, yes. where you guys are going at it. Yes, yeah. uh, but it, um, I'm very proud of what I've done with yeah. X Men for sure. I mean, like I say, it's 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 pretty common for me to to just find faults and, uh, <laughs> and things that I do. Oh, let's go deeper. Go deeper, Josh. Let's, let's go deeper. Don't take me there. <laughs> I saw, I was privileged to see about 10 plus minutes of Alien Covenant the other day. That's 10 minutes more than me. <laughs> what? <laughs> Let me act it out for you. Okay, so you're yeah. on the ship yeah. and it's like yeah. going up and down. It's bouncy. <laughs> bouncy, bouncy ship. <laughs> that was the original working title, right? Alien was, Bouncy Ship? I did record a song that hopefully will be on the soundtrack called Bouncy, Bouncy Ship. <laughs> and that goes, Bouncy, Bouncy Ship. <laughs> Flying through the galaxy, bouncy, bouncy ship. I don't know what is... It's been a while. Yes. It's been a while. But... <laughs> I was going to try something rhymed with galaxy. Plasticine. No. You're, you're like the Lin-Manuel Miranda of uh, Alien films, um, and the ability to freestyle at will. Oh, you know, who? The guy from, uh, you know, the guy from um, Hamilton, he can... Oh, yes, I haven't seen that yet. You're, you Shame and me on both. Me. It's okay. Yeah, no. um, so, okay, so Alien Covenant. Um, it looks very cool. It looks also like an interesting... Um, I mean, I love Prometheus. We've talked about this before. I'm a big mm. fan of that one. At the same time, this feels like maybe Ridley has consciously gone back towards the alien vibe, a little bit more monster running around than, than heady Prometheus kind of vibe. For yes sure, or no? For sure. I think uh, he's gone back to that sort of horror element uh, of the original alien, uh, but has kept the scope and size of Prometheus. Yeah. That's what I've been sort of describing it at. Also answering some questions from, from Prometheus. How's, uh, how's David doing? David's pretty good. Uh, he's been gardening. Um, how, does, how do you, you manage know? that with just a head? <laughs> well, you know, he's he's pretty, um, well, let's say perhaps that the head meets the body. Oh. You know, who knows? That's, who, a, that's a little bit of information there. There is a little bit yeah. of information. And yeah. who, who's, who's Walter? Walter is in the IMDb. Walter you play is Walter, a nice apparently. Guy. Uh, <laughs> Walter is basically the next level uh, to David. Um, Got it. They realized there was a couple of problems with the David model. <laughs> I don't remember that. And really? they had to go back to the drawing board, and so they came up with Walter. <laughs> did you name it? Did you have a say in the name? I didn't, but I think it's pretty it's appropriate. pretty cool, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, this is part of your, your um, modus operandi going forward, only playing two or more roles in films, clearly. That's right. It's in my contract now um, to be acting with one or two versions of myself <laughs> with myself. Your favorite and least favorite <laughs> screen partner at the same time? Yeah, it's kind of weird. I, I just realized at the end of Alien, I was thinking, God, I've got two films coming out where I'm playing two people. Uh, did you compare notes, with the, uh, compare notes with your Assassin's Creed co-star, Mr. Jeremy Irons? No one did it better than him in Dead Ringers. Uh, that's right. We did talk about that. Um, I had looked at Dead Ringers many years ago, actually, because uh, I, I played um, Twins before on, uh, on a Sherlock Holmes 
TV film oh. called The Case of the Silk Stocking. Um, <laughs> you if you haven't it like seen that. it, oh. you've got to go watch it. Uh, so, yeah, I played, I played twins there. Um, I've probably just given away a lot of the film. Of, of which? Alien or Case of the Stocking? Case of the Silk Stocking. Stocking. <laughs> what was um, – we've been talking about a lot of genre films between mm. Assassin's Creed and, and Alien, et cetera. What, yeah. were, were you into genre kind of things as a kid? What was your, what was your bag as a kid? Uh, how, what age are we talking about Let's here? Let's go like 12, 14, like okay. the, the sweet nerd spot of Michael Fassbender. I'm pretty much um, – any sort of American television shows. Right. From Chips to Magnum to Scarecrow and Mrs. King. Oh, so, those really so, hold up too. Yeah, as far as so much that I know pretty much all of the theme songs. Oh, what's your favorite uh, TV show theme song? Well, the tricky one, which not a lot of people can sort of uh, get, is this one. It's like... <sighs> I'm questioning how long to let this go. <laughs> I'll stop it right there. Wait, I don't know. It's a cop show. It's a... It's not, you know, it's beyond cops. <laughs> it goes a little deeper than what that. Is, give me a, okay, just think, tell me. Think more sort of, you know, CIA. Oh, I'm rusty. I'll just tell me. What do you got? I actually mentioned it in, in the thing. Scarecrow and Mrs. King. Oh, Scarecrow and Mrs. King. Yeah. That didn't last too long. I feel like it was a season or two. Well, I mean, it, <laughs> it touched a nerve with me. I thought you'd go more of like a Greatest American Hero had that great theme okay, song. Yeah. You yeah. Know. But that's easy. Anybody can do that. All right, calm down. Yeah, okay. Why do you have to make Sorry. it so aggressive? Hardcastle uh, and McCormick. There's a hard one. Oh, that is a hard one. Yeah. yeah. Um. What was the um? Oh, never mind. We're gonna okay, we do yeah. '80s yeah. TV another yeah. time. Okay. Another time. Okay. Um. Were you into? Because there were rumors a couple years ago that you were offered or you were in the mix for Star Wars. Did you pass on a Star Wars film, Michael Fassbender? <laughs> is that you thinking, or are you not wanting to answer? <laughs> uh, um. You know, I talked about it. Yeah. You did, didn't you? You did. I didn't necessarily. Wait a second. But I talked about it. You talked about it. JJ talked to a lot of people. Yes, we exactly, know that. Exactly. Do, was it a specific role? Um, we talked about a role. Uh, no, you know, we 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 had a conversation. Okay. Um, I th I'm pretty sure I was busy doing something else uh, in this the summer that he was kickstarting that. Uh, did they do it by Kickstarter? They just they they crowdfunded that movie? They did. It was weird. I thought, listen, I thought to myself, you know, if you're going to do it, you do it with Star Wars because there's plenty of people that'll chip in. That's I know actually... I did. I, I, I gave a fiver. And uh, you can see that in the end sequence. Uh, there's a bit of my fiver in, uh, in the lightsaber. What um, uh, <laughs> so no regrets when you saw the film. I mean, you got to enjoy it as a fan. Absolutely. Right? Okay. Um, what was the, do you get stressed out still when you arrive on a set? What do you mean? <laughs> I don't know why you say that. Why are you sweating so much all of a sudden? <laughs> sweating. <laughs> um, I, get, I, I get nervous before something. Um, okay. Uh, before anything, before a <laughs> cup of tea. Um, no, I, I get nervous before starting a project. Uh, on day one, day two, it can be sort of, you know, a little bit, yeah, the nerves are there. I guess it's it's the fear of whether, you know, what you were doing at home uh, in the privacy of the kitchen or uh, living room, bedroom or whatever is going to work. You know, you're saying the things out loud. You're presenting the character for the first time in, in front of the whole crew. So the first two days are kind of like that. And then after that, you just get going, really. It's um... has there ever been a case that you can cite where, like, those first couple of days felt like a disaster, and somehow you found your bearings, and in the end, it worked um, out? Yes, uh, you know that's a pretty common feeling. I guess <laughs> you're like every film. <laughs> you, you, you know, when I first started off uh, working, I remember the the first day. I just wanted the ground to open up and swallow me. Uh, and, and I was like, how do I get out of here? And they're going, turnover. And I'm thinking, turnover where? And then it's like, get ready, action, go. Um, but no, now I, you know, I've, it's, I'm so used to it. And um, You're used to the anxiety and you know that's I part of it. i the anxiety. Uh, you know, yeah, I'm, I'm, exactly. I know the process now a little bit better. I guess I'm more um, used to it. Yeah. We, uh, what's, the, what's the next uh, filming uh, job? What are you shooting next, do you know? Um, I'm not sure. I'm going to take a little bit of time off. So, uh, How dare I'll, you? How dare you? Are you mad? <laughs> time we, off? We need you entertaining us. <laughs> Entertain me now. Dance. <laughs> exactly. You've already <laughs> sung for me in a dance. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, I just think of that mug being thrown at my head like the scene in um, Big Lebowski. Oh, nice. Were you listening to me? Sorry, I wasn't listening. <laughs> you understand me, Lebowski? Sorry, I wasn't listening. Boom. Stay out of Malibu, Lebowski. Stay out of my beach community. Um, Keep anyway, going, one man, me. Lebowski. I'll, I'll listen all day. Um, what was the question? I don't know. Um, what you were doing next? You're going to take some time oh, sorry. off. sorry, I'm going to take some time off. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Sounds like I should. Yeah, exactly. Uh, um, uh, I'm just going to But there's that guy walking on the yeah. beach doing Lebowski. Yeah, he's <laughs> talking to himself. <laughs> Um, I'm going to uh, I'm going to just work on sort of projects that DMC have got on the slate. So right. that's your, that's with a production ro- company. That's right. Yeah. So working with writers and directors and nice. just just doing that for now. Is um is there you know I often ask actors about directors they want to work with and that's a question I do want to ask. But I'm also curious like is there an actor that you've thought about like we that'd be interesting to play around with like we 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 could have an interesting dynamic on screen whether it's someone you know personally professionally or whatever. Have you thought about specific actors like that? Do you think about specific actors that way? Christopher Walken. Yes. Every day. <laughs> <laughs> I'm guessing you do a Christopher Walken too, judging by the uh, first 20 minutes of this you conversation. Know, I just couldn't do it. For, you know, I would have to be, I haven't been practicing in a while, so I feel like uh, I wouldn't do him justice. Uh, Wait, have I ever told you my Christopher Walken Prometheus story? No. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, I should send you this tape because it's amazing. Yeah. I walked into it was a junket for Seven Psychopaths that movie he did yeah, with yeah, Sam yeah. Rockwell. Yeah. And as I was walking into the room, he and Sam were talking about the end of Prometheus. And I don't I'm not going to do a walk in, oh. but he was he was trying to understand what that quote unquote albino octopus was doing there at the end of the movie. <laughs> That's excellent. And the next like eight minutes was like a debate about Prometheus and the albino octopus. Oh, man. I, I, I think you would enjoy it. That. Yes, I'll, sure. I'll get it to you. Don't worry. <laughs> you are sitting behind me in a plane back from Montreal, actually. I think it was Montreal to New York when I was doing The Last X-Men. Is that right? And yeah. did you say anything? I did. I did. When we were getting off the plane, I told him I was a big fan. He said, I'm a big fan of that, that ping pong movie you were in, Balls of Fury, the little oh, known classic. Yeah, Balls of Fury. Classic. <laughs> Fantastic. What's your, is it, is it Deer Hunter? What do you go to on your walk-in? Oh, it's difficult. I mean, uh, anything really. Um, true romance. Yeah. Uh, pulp fiction. So, so I know we're, we're all over the place, but you mentioned um, true romance makes me think of Tarantino, makes me think of Inglorious Bastards. Yeah. And that's something we've, we've never talked about, I think. I'm just curious because that was one of the first times I saw you on screen, and certainly American audiences, I think, saw you. Yeah. As I recall, I think Simon Pegg was going to play that role at one point. He was never going to play that. Let's be let's be serious here. Sorry, <laughs> it I was no mine. Idea. I, I did hear, yeah, I did hear that right. that rumor. Yeah, was um because that's an amazing. And there are like three or four amazing scenes in that film. Yeah, uh, and that's uh, certainly one of them. Well, but, it was just you know for me it was absolute dream come true because when I was seventeen, eighteen, you know, Reservoir Dogs was. Was a big deal for me. Pulp Fiction, of course, changed everything. Um, Wait, hadn't you done a you you done like a stage version of one of them? Yeah, you, right? I do, uh, got my friends together when I was eighteen and um, directed and produced and played Mr. Pink in a stage version of Reservoir Dogs, which Amazing. he did in a nightclub. Yeah, <laughs> so uh, to sort of sit there and be on a set directed by the man himself was incredible. What's the What's the best professional phone call you've ever had in your career? What was like the high point? The one that like. Maybe felt like it was that was your pretty life. surreal when they were like, "You're going to be in Quentin Tarantino's new movie." Yeah, uh, I did. I, I I remember very clearly where I was and my reaction. Uh, there was a lot of jumping around. <laughs> that, that was pretty pretty special for sure. Are, are there performances that you go back to in terms of not necessarily your own, but performances that you revered since childhood that you think about as sort of like the touchstones for? Just like as an admirer of, of of the craft of acting that you always think about. Oh man, you know so many uh, Mean Streets. Yeah, you know De, De Niro, Pacino, uh, and Dog Day Afternoon. All the usual suspects. You know um, Gene Hackman, Conversation. Uh, yeah, uh, The Godfather for everyone in it. Uh, Brando. You know uh, Streetcar on the Waterfront. I was I was thinking about, about about Godfather the other day, and I'm so happy that in this environment, and I'm actually kind of shocked that Paramount hasn't tried to. I don't know who owns the rights to it, to do it again, to do something they, they with couldn't. it. They couldn't. I mean, could they, they do it with everything. Let's not be naive. Michael. <laughs> this is true. This is true. I mean, uh, yeah, it's I inevitable, mean, isn't it? Unless yeah. like. Francis holds the rights and will never give them up. Let's, I guess let's... people didn't like the third one, did they? But I quite liked it. I actually think yeah. the third one is, I mean, yes, compared to the first two, it's not nearly as great. It's hard to follow, yeah. But, but I, the third I, one has some great stuff in it. Yeah. Joey Zaza. <laughs> Joe Mantegna, right, yeah. Um, Andy Garcia's excellent. He's excellent. I mean, yes. What die? What die? <laughs> Sorry. 
<laughs> we could do this all day. Yeah, yeah. Um, so soon to be uh, taking some time off and then doing the Dumb and Dumber slash Godfather reboot is Michael Fassbender. That's right. And yeah. then- <laughs> going to blend them two together. <laughs> A uh, mashup that's long overdue, uh, and then going right into the Assassin's Creed. Uh, you can do the next six sequels back to back to back to back to back, like Avatar style. Uh, yeah, hopefully um, that would be that would be handy. Uh, yeah, we'll see what happens. You know, I'd love to to continue doing it for yeah. sure. Uh, we sort of started off with this film, and we kind of rode over a three film arc. So. We'd love to keep going for sure. Cool. Well, best of luck to to you. It's always good to see you, man. Are we, are we Thanks, good? Man. We've had our ups and downs over the years. We have. We you have. Know, it's been bumpy. Let's be honest. For, but, uh, but forgive and forget. Are we forgive good? Forgive and forget. Yeah. Did you you legitimately did hate me for a year. Is that true? Well, just when we were sharing a cell together. But you know, we got over that, didn't we? Once we realized who was on the top bunk. <laughs> we don't talk about that on there. Never mind. I'm sorry. I brought it up. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Michael Fassbender, uh, go check out Assassin's Creed. Remember to check out Assassin's Creed, now out in theater, starring the one and only Mr. Michael Fassbender. Okay, another big movie that opens this week that has absolutely nothing in common with Assassin's Creed is Why Him? This is a super funny comedy from John Hamburg, the guy that brought you I Love You Man and Along Came Polly. He was one of the writers of Meet the Parents and Zoolander. He, he's, he's big time in comedy, and uh, this cast is big time in terms of comedy chops. It's got um, Brian Cranston and James Franco, Megan Mullally, Keegan-Michael Key, Zoe Deutsch. It's it's a cool ensemble, and uh, uh, Megan is the guest on this uh, latter half of Happy, Sad, Confused, and uh, she's fantastic. We all, of course, love uh, Megan Mullally from Will and Grace. Sammy, Will and Grace fan. Uh, I don't want to like pigeonhole you, but no, of course. <laughs> it's Karen. <laughs> it's Karen. Uh, she's of and Parks. Parks. I mean, and Tammy. Parks. I mean, she's of course yeah. married to the great Nick Offerman. Nick, the great Nick comes up in this conversation as well, uh, and this is an interesting chat in that we talk a lot about the beginnings of her career. She. Um, in an amusing way, she has some great anecdotes and stories about um, making her film debut in Risky Business, the Tom Cruise movie, how she was up for the lead role oh. and didn't get it for a variety of reasons, and how she was almost very uh, close to being in – she really was in. She was in Blue Velvet, the great David Lynch movie, but she was cut out of it. Uh, really funny story about that one as well. Um, so all of that and more and, of course, talk about um, this very funny new comedy, Why Him, uh, starring uh, the great Megan Mullally. You ready, Sammy? I'm very – I'm always ready for her. Okay. Love her. Okay, here we go. Uh, enjoy this uh, chat with uh, Megan. Here you go. We have breaking news. Uh, Nick Offerman has just bought a, a new coat. That's and, right. And Megan Mullally is joining me to talk about it. Yeah, that's right. Nick Offerman has purchased a, a traditional men's formal overcoat at Barney's at approximately 2.40 this afternoon. I that's- just got texted a picture of it, and it's... Quite nice. Now, does he send them? Is this is this his mo? Does he send for approval? Is he his own man that he can just do it? What, what uh, that face indicates? No. I mean, are any are any of you your own men? No. <laughs> fair enough. Fair <laughs> enough. Um, it's a pleasure to have you in our lovely podcast studio. Well, Megan. thank you for having me. My goodness. Uh, congratulations on the film. I was there last night for. It wasn't quite a, like a full on premiere, but it was one of these kind of like fun little weird yeah. events that uh, we I believe have. they're called tastemaker screenings. <laughs> You're considered a, a tastemaker. I think I was just there. <laughs> as a plus one of someone else probably. <laughs> uh, but it's a lot of fun. It's a super fun movie. Uh, an amazing ensemble you and uh, the lovely Zoe Deutsch and of course James Franco and Brian Cranston. Yeah. Keegan killing it as always. Keegan-Michael yeah. Key. I mean, yeah, that guy's a genius. Yeah, he's amazing. He's in everything. Amazing. Seriously. Yeah, he's been on, on the podcast and he's one of those guys that like, too smart for me, frankly. Just too smart. Yeah, he did some legendary uh, improvisational runs when we were shooting that didn't make it into the movie, but I'm sure they'll be in the DVD extras that were just mind boggling. I mean, really, I don't think, I think there's three people on the planet. If that, who can do what he does. So is speaking of, of, of improv, I mean, that's kind of the cliche question. I know you get like on all, the, all these drunkest and stuff is like what percentage was improvised or what? Um, and, I, and I know I know John, John Hamburg, the writer, director of this pretty well over the years. He did um, I Love You, Man and All Came Polly. He wrote on Zoolander and tons of great movies, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so you've clearly got like an excellent like top-notch comedy writer. Uh, that being said, you also do have people like yourself and Keegan on set. So – 
I, I'm falling into the cliched question, but what I mean, what does improv is improv important on a film like this? I think it is. Um, you know, it's funny. Like it's a it's a relatively recent development that um, sometime in the last you know ten or fifteen years, it's become kind of de rigueur for yeah. comedic actors to do a lot of improvisation, television and film, and I think it adds a little something. And it's nice for the actor to have that kind of freedom. But like you said, with John Hamburg, um, you don't need it, especially you definitely don't need it story-wise. But in terms of just character development and little, you know, uh, sort of adding a little color here and there, it's it's quite nice. And, yeah, we had a lot of freedom. I, I think they shot something like 240 hours of film. Oh. <laughs> so, <laughs> so the editor – has now killed himself. No. Um, he was very nice. Uh, we miss him. You've got a nice 60-hour Netflix series coming next year, <laughs> exactly. version of Why Him. Yeah. Yeah, it's going to be a mini-series. Mini OJ, ten, eat your heart part, out. Yeah, exactly. Uh, mini-series, yeah. So, I mean, I'm curious about that because, like, when somebody – I'm sure there are some directors and some filmmakers that fall into the trap now of hiring someone like yourself or, again, a Keegan, et cetera, that, that can improvise and maybe thinks, OK, the script is 70 percent there. I'm gonna I'm gonna hire somebody that's gonna add some of their their crazy magic and, and we'll get a, a great movie out of it and that that's that's probably the wrong way to go is that was that a fair assessment and have you have you experienced something like that? Um, if I'm understanding you correctly, uh, I I don't f- feel like we were cast so that we could come in and like you know improvise. I think he cast us because he felt, you know, we were the right people to tell the story that he wrote. And then we shot, you know, we shot all the dialogue as written, but then we also had the freedom to, uh, you know, kind of fool around and go crazy. And it was the only thing I've ever done where we would shoot one, we would shoot the first side, like say it's me and Brian. And then we would turn around to, you know, uh, James and, you know, Zoe, and they would do something that was so funny that we would need to turn back around to me and Brian so that we could respond to it. Right, right. Which I've never had happen, A, because it's it's rare that you come up with that kind of stuff that that you just have to have, but also because it's really expensive and movie studios don't think that's very funny. Right. (laughs) (laughs) They they don't get the the humor in that? Yeah, they're not quite as amused by it. I guess what I'm saying is not as particular on this film, but like I would think some other filmmakers might use your talents to compensate for a script oh, that's not there. Yeah, I've had that. I, I have had that happen. Uh huh. Yes. Like you're expected to funny it up, Megan. Make a silk purse out of a sow's ear, yes. as the old saying goes. Um, and so I try to avoid those situations because <laughs> w- you really can't. I mean, it's that old. Adage, if it ain't on the page, right. it ain't on the stage, is so true. Yeah. When um, was comedy always the thing for you? Like the first when you were getting into acting, was that something that you I knew you'd end up in? I never even it- realized I was more than just reasonably, like mildly amusing until Will and Grace. Really? I thought, oh, I can get a part on a sitcom and, you know, you know, deliver a, a punchline, but I, I didn't think I had any particular particular facility for it. However, years later, it takes me a while. It takes me about um, several decades to make certain connections. But um, I recently realized that as a child, I had every comedy record of every stand-up. Um, Smothers Brothers, right. George Carlin, Flip Wilson, Bill Cosby, dare I say... Um, Bob Newhart. Sure. I had them all. And it was a big thing for me. It was a big deal. Phyllis Diller. <laughs> so what was it? I mean, did, were your aspirations just different in wanting to be, you know, a, a dramatic actor? Or was did you not think you had it in you at the time, like in the early years or what? I mean, was it – or just happened since what you were offered until Will and Grace? I was like kind of like in a like a blackout drunk for about 30 years. No, no, that's not true. Um, no, we're getting good. Go. I, <laughs> No, I don't know why. I started out as a ballet dancer, so that was kind of confusing. Not a lot of comedy there. Um, 
Black Swan, hysterical. I don't know what you're talking about. Hilarious movie. One of the (laughs) all-time, right up there with Young Frankenstein. Um, Then I, uh, what are the boring details of my life? Um, Ballet dancer. And then, uh, you know, I've always been a singer, so I did a lot of musical. I've done, you know, like a bunch of musicals on Broadway and stuff like that. Um, And then I did, you know, some television where I had to be, mildly amusing but but I I know I, I guess what I'm saying is I for some reason I didn't have the confidence I guess to think that what I thought was funny uh, that, that other people would find right. you know things that I thought were fu- funny as funny as I found them and once I started Will and Grace, I was able to kind of try myself out because, you know, I had a long shot at it, eight years. <laughs> so I had a lot of chances. And um, I just started doing what I thought was funny, and it seemed to to work. Early on – now, did I read this right? You, you were on a show called The Ellen Burstyn Show. As mm-hmm. I re- was that a sitcom? Did Ellen Burstyn have a – The smash hit. Ellen Burstyn. <laughs> I'm just. I mean, you're I love not Ellen. much of a student of television <laughs> if you don't know about. I love Lucy. The classic. Uh, yeah. Well, it was interesting. I just don't associate her with sitcom. Yeah. Well, it was the first television show I ever auditioned for, which was funny, and then I got it, which was also funny. But so check this out. Ellen Burstyn played my mother, and Elaine Stritch right. played my grandmother. I saw that. I blew so, my mind. Yeah. I mean, it's, it was. <laughs> Unreal. I mean, it was incredible. I mean, I loved Elaine so much. I loved her. And she, you know, she and I stayed friends all through the years. But, God, she would come into rehearsal just wearing a shirt and a pair of tights and no pants. That's the Elaine Stritch wardrobe. That's her thing. Wear your pants. (laughs) But just for every day. And a pair of, like, you know, kids. She lived on her own terms. And a Gilligan hat. <laughs> I was like, what the fuck is happening? Um, she's a, a role model she's for all amazing. of us. She's amazing. Yeah, she no, was the best. she was amazing. Anyway, so I got that show, and we did 13 episodes, and it was very unceremoniously canceled. Um, Were you shattered? Ellen Were you devastated? Be, what? Were you devastated? Was it like, oh, my God? I because it was my first thing and, you know, we were shooting in New York and it was like, glam. you know, I just thought it was, I mean, it was, you know, it's nice to have a job. It's all I can say. Um, I mean, that remains true to, yeah. to this day or any other. But Ellen Burstyn is, is unbelievable also. She wanted it to be like a little play every week. And I don't think she understood the sort of unfortunate parameters of the sitcom right. uh, you know, template. This is Happy Sad Confused. We'll be right back after this. And then sequentially, when did was your was your film debut? Your memorable role in uh, as a uh, it was it was as in Risky Business, I believe. Right? You 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 can be glimpsed in a still frame or two of Risky Business. Is that true? Uh, yeah, I tested for the lead in Risky Business. Did you really? Yeah, I didn't. Well, I don't want to shatter your dreams, but I did not get it. <laughs> No, I've seen the film, I recall. <laughs> yeah, spoiler alert. I did not get that part. It could have part. been a success. I Look would have that. gotten that part, mm-hmm. but rumor has it, everybody wanted me, the director and all the producers and blah, blah. David Geffen, who was like sort of the overlord of the whole thing, no. Is that not, true? Seriously? Not. He was not interested in me. Yeah, he flatlined on me. He wanted Rebecca De Mornay, who's hilarious, <laughs> and he got her. So congratulations, David. <laughs> You did it, a dark you turn. did it again. <laughs> <laughs> We're gonna go darker because I want to bring I want to bring up Blue Velvet. You're gonna slap oh, me. Are, oh, yeah. are you gonna slap me in the face? I'm just curious. Wow, no, it was amazing. No, okay, so that's a great story. So I was in Blue Velvet, but were you? But <laughs> it got cut out. Aww. Okay, so here's the story. Yeah. I was standing in front of the Ivy on Robertson, which was like the biggest thing in the world at that time. Nineteen. 19- 13. Um, <laughs> and I was with my agents from William Morris, who that was also 1913. And we were waiting for one of them had valley parked. I, of course, parked on the street because I was a penniless actor. And there's an outdoor section with tables, and this whole table is like looking at me. And I was like, what is happening? They are all up on my jock. And they were like, 
my agents were like, they're they're calling you. They're like, oh my god, oh my god, it's David Lynch and Isabella Rossellini. They're calling you. They want you to come over to their table. So I went over there, and there's like ten people at the table, and this woman says, hi, I'm so-and-so, and I'm a casting director, and this is David Lynch, the film director, and he's directing a movie, and we think you're perfect for it, and he wants you to come in tomorrow and, and talk to him. And I was like, all right. So <laughs> I went to his house or his office, I guess. I don't know. We had sex. No, we didn't. <laughs> um, <laughs> and he was very nice, and we chatted, and he goes, oh, my God, no, you're not whatever Laura Dern's character name, right. name is. He goes, oh, no, you're not a Lisa at all. You're not a Lisa. You're a Susan. And I was like, okay, no reading of any script at all, just talking. And so then he offered me this other part of – at the very beginning of the movie, Kyle Chandler has a not Kyle Chandler, McLaughlin. Kyle yep. McLaughlin yep. has a girlfriend who doesn't treat him very well, and but he doesn't really see that. And then um, his father has a stroke, and he goes home, and he finds an ear in the field. Right. Well, they decided to cut the entire first fifteen Let's or twenty right minutes and yep. just get right to the ear in the field. <laughs> so, um, but now it's I had never seen it. But then just like a year or two ago, it came out right. on the Blu-ray edition. So it's in there. The whole thing is in there. And Amazing. I watched it and I was like, oh, my God, it's crazy. <laughs> I was so young and I had this like long hair or something. Yeah. And so, OK, so you've so you've got. The, I think we make out. Don't we make out? I, it's been a while. It's been. A, yeah. OK. So. So. So let's see. You have the the David Geffen hating you. You're cut out of the David Lynch movie. Yeah. But L- it was all fun. I it mean, was. I yeah, it was all good. I mean, I, you know, I, I had a great time. So what? I got flown out to L.A. for two weeks for that screen test for, for our risky business. Nice. It was cool. So at, tell me at this point, you don't have to audition for something like Why Him? They just, they, they, they want the Megan Mullally. They ask for the Megan Mullally. Well, I was kind of surprised with this one because I play a normal person in it. Right. And that's not what I normally do. <laughs> but it's what I like to do and what I would like to do more of, um, if anybody out there is listening who can hire me for that. Uh, but what happened was John Hamburg, my savior, had uh, an idea of casting me. And so I was in Boston with Nick, who was working in Boston at the time. And so he and I Skyped for an hour, and we have a lot of mutual friends, like the whole David Wayne group. Right, They're all, They all go way back as 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 they say and um we we talked for an hour and i just felt like god no matter what happens we're going on a double date because i knew his wife mm-hmm. christina kirk is this hilarious amazing uh comedic actress or actress and uh she had done an episode of children's hospital and i just was fascinated with her i think she's so great so i thought okay well we're gonna be buddies and um and then December 15th of last year, I got the call that I got the part, and I was so excited. I mean, did you it know really what, was. Did you know it was Cranston as your, as your yeah, dude? Yeah, I, I knew that James and Brian were doing yeah. it, but I didn't, I didn't know either one of them. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I mean, I don't want – you know, it's silly, but I was really – honestly, I was so excited, and I still am. I mean, so, you know, it's, it's kind of your dream to get, like, a good part in a big movie. Yeah. And and that's, and I never have ever. I was gonna say, I mean, like you've done a lot of indies and and, and yeah, the, the majority of like I feel like your great work is obviously has been on television. And but when you look at the film stuff, it's 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 harder. It seems like it's harder to find. Yeah, it's hard the, to like kind of really show everything when you only have two or three scenes, <laughs> um, or less. And in this movie, it's just nice because I actually have a role throughout the movie. I have jokes. I, I play a real person. I'm not just the dumb, you know, wife who's like, oh, right. darling. You know, I get to be like a, a cool, interesting, you know, and there, character. Uh, you know, it's a smart script in that like it, it – there are some stereotypes that it that you think maybe going in it's going to play into that – I mean like Franco's character you might think is like a monster on the surface and is actually almost like the sweetest character in the film, he et cetera. Really they all he, have a little bit more depth. Yeah, I think, there's than, no bad guys. And um, there, there aren't any bad guys, which is interesting. And it's not that rote comedy that comes out these days where the big comedies seem like they all start out a certain way and then it kind of just devolves into a lot of violence, right. honestly. And I don't really – I don't like that. I want to just go to a comedy and see people. 
people interacting um, and not have to see a bunch of car chases or explosions. What, what are your go-to classic comedies you mentioned? I mean, I know your association, Young Frankenstein, for me, that film is obviously a, a perfect, pretty much a perfect comedy. What's uh, what, what else is up there? Oh, my God. This is like the worst kind of question because the minute <laughs> that my brain just goes to a blank. Um, well... Are there ones that you go even go going back to childhood or growing up or getting oh, into I acting? I love Bridesmaids. I mean, I Bridesmaids thought that was great. incredible. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I laughed a lot during that movie, and I love that it was women too. I like women. What's the what's the? Sh- I'm, nah, I'm, I'm lukewarm. Yeah. What? <laughs> lukewarm. Yeah, no. you're like you're undecided. You're on, he's on the fence. Undecided. What's the surest way to get you excited or, or interested in a project when you see something in a script or 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 on the negative? Like when you see something, you mentioned seeing kind of like gratuitous action in an otherwise comedic script, maybe as a turn off. What are your kind of turn turn ons or t- turn offs when you're reading a script? I don't like violence, mm-hmm. um, so that would be a no. I'm not a fan of the horror genre. Um, not that I get offered horror movies because you have to be like 13 to get offered those. Um, I don't know. I guess I look for things that I personally find funny, especially if there's anything that makes me laugh out loud. Yeah. And then the director and the cast and just the general vibe. It's very hard to tell when you're going into something. Something on paper could look like it's a slam dunk and – and then turn out to be horrible and vice versa. Right. You know, some, you, sometimes you just never know. Like you have to go with the filmmaker or, you know. Um, but, yeah, for me um, with this, I just really love – I loved I Love You, Man. And John Hamburg is one of the only big commercial directors that I actually know – I know his name and I know who he is. Yeah. Um, and honestly, like I said, I was so excited. I mean it's it's – it was – it's a. It was the biggest thing that it's ever. The biggest job I've ever gotten. Really. Yeah. So, uh, put in context a little bit. You mentioned obviously, like in, in the center of that career, will always be Will and Grace, which obviously was a game mm-hmm. changer for you. Yeah. Um, was it? I mean, did it? Did it feel immediately like a game game changer? Like, at what point did it? Did you recognize the importance it was going to have on mm-hmm. the rest of your career? Well, oh yeah. And so let me just clarify that last statement a little bit. Like going into Will and Grace, the reason I say that why him is the biggest job I've ever gotten is because going into Will and Grace, it was just another pilot. I'd right. done like 975 pilots. So just the law of like, averages. Okay, it's well, just not going to happen. This year's pilot, <laughs> you know, jaded. Um, I guess it took a little while for the other shoe to drop um, with Will and Grace. I wasn't, the show really started coming together around the, you know, a few episodes in, maybe 10 episodes in. I thought, Oh, man, this is really funny. And then there was an episode just for my character because I always had just two or three scenes in each episode. But there was one week we were shooting and it was fairly – it was during the first season. And I opened the door to Will and Grace living room during the B scene, which is when I always entered. And the audience starts screaming and like stomping their feet like that on the ground. And I I was like, what – is it what's ha- I, mean, I really didn't know what was going on right and and they were just excited to see you <laughs> max Muchnik, one of the creators came running over and he was like it's you honey they love you <laughs> so that was that was an amazing moment i was very flattered and excited and but yeah, in terms of like the impact that the show ended up having um depending on who you talk to on the um you know LGBTQ community mm-hmm. um, and gay rights, you know, the, you know, civil rights. And that was just an added bonus that none of us could have ever yeah. anticipated. Right show, right time. And oh, now my God. It's insane. So and, and coming off of it, I mean, that clearly changed, again, the trajectory of your career and it probably gave you the luxury of more choices than you'd ever had. Yeah. I mean, were the opportunities that were there as exciting as you would hope coming off of a hit sitcom? I mean, you you became a talk show host briefly and that mm-hmm. kind of thing. Like, was that something that was like on the list or was that one of those opportunities that just came because you're in a show of that, that stature and let's try shit out, let's try something? Yeah. Well, first I want to say that like sometimes people say, like, I'm talking about like schlocky, like paparazzi kind of journalism always say that, you know, actors, you know, they're just like these egomaniacs who just want to get their picture taken. And so it's fine if paparazzi stalk them and, 
you know, invade their privacy and demean and degrade them, that's all fine because they're asking for it. That's not true. I I think there are a few people who are like that, but, you know, most people really want to try to create an entertainment for the audience that might be valuable in, in a certain way, in whatever way, even if it's a, just, you know, a silly comedy. And um, that's my motivation and always was. And, um, and I am not pursued by any paparazzi ever because nobody gives a shit. But just I'm saying that for the other people. Um. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, it's about – I mean, you're, you're right. And I've talked to many actors about this. I think at the end of the day, for most, it's about connecting, right? It's about well, – it's a service industry. It's not about you. It's not about, you know, this thing about being famous and all that. That's just some made-up thing. I mean, it's it's something that you're compelled to do that you – that you know, I don't – I mean, I you have – that you – you know, well, it's yes. so bizarre. I mean, it's putting yourself out there in an insane way. Like, I mean, for, you know, those of us that are a little fragile in terms of like self-analysis, like acting and yeah. putting yourself in front of a camera but is I mean, maybe the worst thing to do. But yeah, certain people have certain predilections, you know, and my I came out of the hat in a top hat and tap shoes. <laughs> right. And that's just the way it was. Yeah. I didn't have really a choice in the matter, you yeah. know. Um, so I, I just had to pursue that. But Anyway, your question was something completely. That's okay. Other no, but that. I mean, it, it was coming off of Will and Grace and the opportunities, oh, such as like. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, okay. So the talk show thing was just a. During the last season of Will and Grace, um, I got approached by King World, which was the company that did Oprah's show, sure. to do a talk sh- a daytime talk show, and I thought that's weird. I had kind of, I've always been a big fan of talk shows. I watched them all, for my whole life. And I had actually pitched to Jeff Zucker uh, doing a, a nighttime talk show. Like I knew Conan was leaving and I was like, hey, how about me? He was like, I'm asleep. So, um, David Geffen told me about you. Yeah. <laughs> David Geffen warned me about you. I'm hiring Rebecca De Mornay. As a talk so, show host? This seems like a horrible she's idea. Amazing. <laughs> um, so then, weirdly, um, Jeff Zucker came to see me uh, perform with my band at Lincoln Center mm-hmm. and came racing backstage and said, you have to do a talk show. And I said, so funny you should mention that, Jeff, because uh, I just had a meeting at King World and he had an offer on the table the next morning, 10 a.m. And I thought, here's what I thought. I thought, I love talk shows. Two giant companies are wanting me to do a talk show. It is it meant to be? I don't know. But if I don't try it, then I'll never know. Right. And I might spend the rest of my life wondering. Well, as it turns out, I hated it. I mean, I, I liked it. I liked the part about talking. I like talking to people. But being working in syndication is very hard. And, and it's not uh, creatively very... It's a little stultifying creatively. Right. And... Um, the kinds of things that we would do, like have a contest where people had to come up from the audience and sit on balloons and try to pop them with their butts. I was like, this isn't what I really was like hoping for. <laughs> this wasn't the Turns dream. Out. Yeah. So I'm glad I did it. And I'm and I think it's cool and interesting that it all happened the way it did. But I'm sort of glad that I then got to go and, and do other things. Your first guest, I think, was was Will Ferrell, right? I, yeah. I, I remember that because I, I worked briefly at, at an infamous talk show failure at John McEnroe's talk show, oh, yeah. which also had Will Ferrell as the, the first, first guest. guest of the, he, all the ones that failed. Yeah, yeah. he's just the kiss of death. But I mean, he seems like a great guy. He's, he's the, the most kiss his, of life I mean, in he's real the life. most hilarious I mean, man on the, the planet. He's the kiss of, yes. you know, rapture and, and everything else. So, yeah, I love Will, and I thought, perfect. And even when I – because I kind of asked him if he would do it before I asked um, anybody else, and when I – I told uh, everybody I thought they'd be so excited and they were kind of a little crestfallen because, you know, that's not the right, really the exact right audience for daytime. We haven't put daytime. this in the demo. We have to test this first. Yeah, so they made me have some woman on after Will Ferrell who came out dressed as little Bo Peep with some sheep. I can't think of her name. She used to be married to Jim Carrey. Really? I have to, or she was in a relationship okay. with him. Blonde. Worth, I have to go back. Jenny. Was she an actor? Jenny McCarthy. Oh, Jen, of course. I forgot yeah. that she and uh, so like, she and Jim okay. were together. So yeah. this is how it's going to be. 
<laughs> worked out for the best. Speaking of uh, interesting career moments, um, you infamously had a moment with uh, our president-elect, uh, Donald Trump. Mm, he's so sexy. Don't get me started. <laughs> not to bring not to bring the podcast to a <laughs> screeching halt, but it's worth noting. Uh, go down the YouTube rabbit hole and you'll find. Um, oh, guess what? What's Have that? you seen Twitter today? A couple times. Yeah, it turns out Trump is great. It was all just a big oh, misunderstanding. Oh, yeah, there was just some wires were crossed. Really? So no, he's, he's not. No, he's all amazing. That. The no. anti-Semitic chief no, of staff is okay. It's, That's so all fine. Don't worry anymore because it's all going to be great. <laughs> what a jokester, <laughs> guys! It's, it's all be been fine. a big prank. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> um, so fair to say, despite your Emmy performance with him, you're not going to be performing at the inauguration. <laughs> I know. God, no. <laughs> I mean, I mean, yes, but I'm not supposed to tell anybody yet. <laughs> I'm gonna sing. Just gonna hum taps. I'm gonna sing "Happy Birthday to You" real sexy, and then wear that Marilyn Monroe dress. <laughs> it's gonna be good. Well, for those listening, go back to happier times when Trump was really just a joke, and watch uh, watch a lovely duet between him and uh, and Megan on when the he Emmys. was just a joke. Oh God, when he is. Well, on happier things, let's wrap it up with a nice, nice big bow. Why him coming out soon? Uh, it's it's a very funny movie. Congratulations! I'm happy you got this kind of opportunity because you should be getting anything you want. You're hysterical and you're an amazing actor. So, um, oh, that's sweet of you. Thank you. I'm, I, I was I'm I was thrilled. I'm still thrilled, and thank you. It comes out Friday. December 23rd. Nice. And congratulations to Nick on that wonderful new coat. We're all really happy for him. Thank you guys. I'm going to tell him that you approve. And so ends another edition of Happy, Sad, Confused. Remember to review, rate, and subscribe to this show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm a big podcast person. I'm Daisy Ridley, and I definitely wasn't pressured to do this by Josh. This episode of Happy, Sad, Confused was produced by Michael Catano, James T. Green, Mukta Mohan, and Kasia Mihailovic for the MTV Podcast Network, with additional engineering by Little Everywhere. You can subscribe to this and all of our other shows on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever else you find your favorite podcasts. 